and welcome back to the next episode of Behind the Desk with Mark Thomas, the podcast where I meet some of the leading figures in the insurance and insurtech space, bringing you insight into their views and opinions on the sector, career journeys, as well as a deeper look into the actual person behind the desk. In this episode, I bring you the co-founder of one of the UK's most exciting insurtech businesses, Insure, in the form of David Dacius. David and his co-founder Dan started Insure nearly six years ago to solve the problem of Uber drivers getting insurance quickly in New York. Since then, the company has expanded rapidly, going from 20 to over 150 employees in the last two years and now operating out of the UK and Netherlands as well as the US, with much more on the horizon. I love speaking to David about his journey, the ups and downs of startup life. We discuss his views on where insurance needs to adapt and evolve and his vision for Insure over the coming years. A truly inspiring conversation with a forward-thinking tech leader who started life in retail and has ended up in changing the face of private hire and career insurance. So without further delay, let's get behind the desk with David Dacius. Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Desk with Mark Thomas. This week, I have got David Dacius, who is the COO at uh, Insure, who are an, uh, a fintech, uh, insurtech startup. Um, would you still call yourself as a startup, David? I think we're, we're moving into scale-up territory now. Okay, okay, so st- next stage. So, well, look, you I mean, w- welcome and thanks very much, uh, most importantly, for, for being with us. As always, I kind of start all the podcasts with uh, with a bit of a, a, an intro on you and uh, and, and your current role and and, uh, and just a bit of background on, on yourself. Um, so, yeah, if you could kind of fill the listeners in on that, that'd be great. Thanks, Mark. So, uh, I'm David, uh, one of the co-founders and COO of Insure. We're a commercial auto MGA and uh, our, our mission is to provide entrepreneurs with quick, easy and good value insurance at, at the point that they need it. So we're all about working with channel partners and embedding our, our products when customers really need them. Yeah. So, so t- how, how long is the, tell us a bit about the, the, the kind of insure journey now. So I think you're, you're the first person we've had on the podcast that's a, a genuine founder in the insure tech space. So t- tell us a bit. I mean, we'll go, we'll later on, we'll go a bit more into your background and how it all started. But why don't we start with the, the kind of insure journey? So you've been there, is it five, six years or so now? Yeah, it's all a bit blurry now, but yeah, about five <laughs> or six years. So we started about 2016. And I think, yeah, that's one of the things when you, it's like a roller coaster. I think someone once described being in a startup, it's like getting on the back of a racehorse with no saddle and someone like kicks it up the backside. You know, you're holding on for dear life and uh, all you're thinking about is just surviving. So yeah, we started 2016 when I met Dan and um, you know, basically there was, there was a big need in, Dan was based in New York and Uber had recently come to town. You know, Dan was working for uh, for a broker that served the, the yellow cab community. So that was relatively small. I think at the time it was about 12,000 yellow cab drivers in New York. And then suddenly Uber came to town with about you know, 50, 60, 70,000 drivers. And the whole demographics of the drivers changed and they needed insurance. And whereas the average taxi driver would be 50 to 60 years old, been driving for a number of years, was quite happy to park up their cab, go up a flight of stairs, sit in an office, fill in some forms, have a chat with a few people, and then wait a few days for their documents to be ready. These Uber drivers came in and they didn't want to talk to anyone, let alone be in an office and, and filling in forms. So, so that was where the idea sprung from. And uh, what we realized is that all the data required to, to underwrite 
these policies was publicly available and the only thing that we needed to capture was a barcode on the back of the taxi license and from that we could get their name address their their driving records any accidents points details about the vehicle so that that's where the idea came so we produced an app that famously allowed drivers to get insurance in in three minutes so that really sort of changed things there and then so that's that's how we got started then um so it was it was you know it's a bit strange in the beginning in that we had a tech team in the uk uh, delivering a product in, in in new york so the the logical next step was to come over to the uk uh, so along the way we set up an mga with uh, digital partners i know you had uh, joanne on a, a couple of weeks ago so she, she was involved with that and then we came to the uk uh, in 2018, uh, launched there. Along the way, we've uh, got a partnership with Uber, so we managed to get on their insurance panel in, in the UK, which was great. Then launched in the Netherlands, uh, obviously post-Brexit, to give us a, a, a gateway into mainland Europe. Then uh, COVID struck and people stopped traveling around, so then we it was always on our roadmap, but we decided, you know, we saw the uh, increase in, in delivery drivers, food and parcels. So we launched our, our last mile delivery product earlier this year, which is uh, which has been a great success as well. And so here we are in coming to the end of 2021. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good, that's a great little pivot, isn't it? Like the delivery drivers thing. I mean, did you find that actually a lot of those drivers were the same people that were driving Ubers then switched to doing delivery driving? I, 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 you kind of make the assumption that that would, that would be where people would go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, that was great. So we had our own sort of customer base there that we could market to, and and they were then sort of driving, you know, Amazon Flex, Deliveroo. Um, but yeah, essentially, it's it's the uh, the same pool of drivers. Although, as, you know, we know now there's a huge driver shortage in the UK. So certainly in, in Brighton, where I am, yeah, the, it, it takes longer to get an Uber now. It's surging, yeah, whenever there's a drop of rain. So uh, hopefully some of them will come back in, into rideshare. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that, actually. I literally just got back from um, Spain at the weekend. I, I just went for a couple of nights for, for my uh, wife's, um, uh, my mother-in-law's 60th birthday, who lives over there at the moment. And um, the, the price of Uber in, um, in Spain is, is outrageously expensive compared to, 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 uh, to, to London. Um, and, and I asked one of the drivers there and they just said it's just because of the shortage. Like they, they, they just haven't, they, over there, they just haven't got the, the, the drivers. So certainly not just a UK problem by the sounds of it. It sounds like it's uh, a, a, yeah. kind of a, a Europe issue as well. Um, so, so if, if we, if we kind of take a, a couple of steps back, um, and, and start like the, I mean, as I say, the, the, the point of this podcast is, is understanding how people have got to, to, to your, to the point where they are now and the journey they've taken to, um, so, so, so take us back right to the start. Like where, how, how did the, where did the career start and has it always been in insurance and if not, how did you get into it? Talk, talk us through the journey. Yeah, sure. So, uh, interestingly enough, I, I got into, I got into tech by a theatre, believe it or not. So uh, I was at university. I was doing a statistics degree. Yeah. And uh, I was looking at it was either accountancy or being an actuary. So I, I could have got into insurance yeah, through, through that route. My dad at the time was working at a theatre and they used to go and print tickets out for their events and they'd 
you know, rip the tickets off and sell them. And then one day they got this new sort of ticketing computer system. So you could just go, you know, like, you know, there's everywhere now. You look at the screen, you say, I want that ticket, and it prints it out. And he just said, Tom, whatever you're thinking, stop. You've got to get into IT. So so that was really, that was the catalyst. So I, I left university. I joined uh, Sainsbury's on their graduate uh, computer programmers uh, scheme, which was, you know, it was superb. Spent eight years there. Excellent training. Worked in all areas of the business. I think it's quite a, a well-trodden route through programming, business analysis, project management, and uh, yeah, had had a had a great time. Learned loads. Worked on some uh, very interesting projects. Then spent probably another uh, five years or so working for retailers. And at that point, I thought I want to move on. Actually, I. I Around about the turn of uh, 1999, 2000, when the the internet uh, boom and bust, dot com boom and bust was 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 around, I set up a few startups. So I think that's where my um, my uh, sort of interest in entrepreneurship started. So myself and a, and a friend set up a, a consultancy looking at um, building up websites for entrepreneurs, which was, uh, again, that would be a whole other podcast. There's lots of interesting stories there, learned a lot. Then the uh, the, the bus came in, in sort of late 2000. That I, I fancied working on the other side of the other table, so I started working for a, a retail software house, which, again, was uh, interesting times. I think what I loved about retail at the time was that, uh, a lot of the tech innovations were were coming through through retail, so things like you know scanning uh, was a, you know, changed changed the retail industry and all the sort of just in time uh, delivery and stock ordering. So it really was at the forefront of, of a lot of the technological advances. Chip and pin came in really early, obviously in, in retail. So it was it was a great learning experience for me, and I, I got to work with a lot of uh, a lot of different retailers, which is great. Then uh, I sort of stumbled into insurance, so I was I was working away a lot, uh, working with various retailers, and uh, I was offered a job in Brighton, where where I lived, uh, as uh, the operations director for an insurance software house. Don't really know anything about insurance. They were quite keen that I had all the the skill set that they they needed and at the time my wife was pregnant and she said I don't care what the job is uh, but if you're going to be at home and able to help me change the nappies and it's a good job so to take it so uh, <laughs> that's what happened so yeah so I, I got into that insurance software business very quickly realized that um, there was a whole lot of opportunity I you know I think insurance is one of those industries that if you don't, if you, you haven't got any connection to it, it's not something that you, you know, go and learn about necessarily. So I think with, you know, with retail, everybody's shopping all the time. But with insurance, you don't, you know, you understand I need car insurance so I can drive my car. But more than that, you don't really, don't really understand. So it's a, it was a big learning curve. I didn't realize how big the insurance industry was. I think that the big thing that struck me was all of the systems I was coming into contact with, the, the systems that we were selling, 
um, the systems that uh, yeah, other people were using. The majority had been designed for pre-internet, so that really stifled the innovation and made all these digital transformations that uh, the insurance industry wanted to go through more difficult than it was in, in, in other industries. So I think that's where I thought that there's an opportunity here. Um, and, and just learning how big the insurance industry you know, was. I, th I think at the time, somebody told me that it was like 7% of UK GDP was generated by insurance. And I thought, wow, you know, that's, uh, that, that's a huge industry. So yes, yeah, so then I got sort of blooded in, in insurance. And a few years after that, I met Dan, um, my co-founder, and that he'd, he'd had a similar stumbling. So there we were, sort of two stumblers, uh, and we decided <laughs> to uh, co-found a company. And you know, sometimes I think because we've had that, that route into insurance and, and done stuff before, maybe that's allowed us to look at things in, in, in a slightly, slightly different way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Actually, when I was doing a, a bit of research, obviously we we, we have, didn't know each other before this uh, this podcast. Um, um, but your uh, that retail background, I I, I did kind of you mean uh, very early on in my career, I did some stuff in retail, and, and and I remember the technology space, like all the e-commerce stuff that was was so far ahead of the game, which uh, in, in comparison to insurance is now the kind of thing that a lot of people are using similar kind of technologies approaches to customer engagement and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I. I I did kind of wonder where that transition came under, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good story. It's, a, it's quite funny, actually, uh, from doing this podcast, the amount of people that have just stumbled into insurance is, uh, is, is fairly common. I don't think there's, uh, there's many people that kind of dream of doing insurance when they're, uh, they're a, a kind of 14, 15-year-old uh, kid. But, uh, but you're right, it's, uh, I think it's a great place to be at the moment. Right? There's lots of, lots of um, good kind of innovation going on, which is, uh, which is really interesting. So... So what's the, I guess moving, so you've obviously started up the business, obviously it sounds like it's gone, uh, it's going really well. Again, I was I was looking at the, the, the kind of funding rounds you've been through and stuff, so it's obviously been quite an exciting journey. Um, what, what's, I mean, I don't know how much you can talk about, but what, what's kind of next on the agenda? What does the next kind of few years look like for, for you and the business? Yeah, three things basically. It, it's product expansion, so we're you know, launching new products so we're, we're all about um yeah we, we see the way that the entrepreneurs are, are working is changing so you know the the uber driver the the courier driver the the electrician the plumber yeah though it's all about using platforms you know to to get their work so we're we want to be plugged into those platforms so when a driver needs insurance, it's not a case of, and I think this this was the case, you know, a few years ago, right, you need to go and sort your insurance out and, and then come back and, and then you can work. And it was, well, what do I need? You know, what, what, what kind of cover do I need? And it was, well, you just need to sort that out. And, and the, the, the sort of companies took a bit of a hands off. You know, now they're very incentivized to make sure the drivers are, are covered correctly. So we want to be there at the point of, of need for these drivers to say, well, this is a product that's um, like, like with with Uber in the UK, we're on the, the Uber panel. So a driver knows that if they want to do ride share in the, in the UK, they know that we provide the right levels of cover. So we want to offer more products for more entrepreneur drivers and get those embedded with platforms and, and channel partners. Secondly is geographical expansion. Uh, we're in three countries now. 
uh, the US, UK and the Netherlands. We want to expand further into the United States. We're in New York at the moment. We've got plans to go into all the, the big major states over the next couple of years, uh, and mainland Europe as well. And then the third thing is, is enhancing our capability as an organization. And we want to own as much of the insurance value chain as, as possible. So we uh, got our own claims team in, in New York and we are setting up a claims team in, in the UK. We believe you know, by owning more of that value chain, that translates into a better service that, that we can offer to our customers because everything's aligned. I think um, you know, working with TPAs is, is brilliant for an MGA who's, who's starting up and wants to, to launch a product quickly. Um, but yeah, over time, you realize you're, you're sort of giving away a big part of your customer experience. You know, that's, um, uh, you know, that, that's really you know, the purpose of insurance is being there when a customer needs you to be able to pay that claim, get them back on the road as, as quickly as possible. And uh, by outsourcing that to somebody else, you know, you can't control that process. So, so really it's, it's enhancing our product lines, geographical expansion and enhancing our capability. And obviously a, a big part of what we do is working with partners. So uh, enhancing our, our, our partnerships. Yeah, it's interesting you say that bit about the customer experience because I think I think that's exactly right, isn't it? Like that that for me, like um, what, what's the what's the benefit of of working with um, with a, a kind of a, a, a new entrant in tech type business um, like yourself over the the, the the kind of reams of traditional insurers that that are out there? And it's generally that that bit that you mentioned earlier about someone who can use an app rather than having to talk to loads of people. Like I, I'm I'm. Uh, I'm only 36 and I always try to be- benefit the, the whichever app means I have to talk to the least amount of people just to get something done. So I, t- I totally understand that. But actually when something goes wrong, you, you, you equally just want something sorted as quickly as possible, don't you? So if you, if you could kind of, it's both ends of the, of the, of the, of the point where a customer would talk to you, that, that, that makes, makes total sense. So do, do you see that as, what, what do you say, what would you say is your, the kind of the main differentiator between inshore and, and, and uh, I don't know whoever the the the, the carriers are that that, that typically uh, offer the similar types of insurance. What, what's your your kind of USP? I think there's, there's a few. I think obviously the technology when insure tech. Um, there's lots of debates on whether you know are we a tech company sells insurance or insurance company that's powered by technology. But I think the technology that enables us to embed ourselves with platforms. So uh, either uh, yeah. Yeah, a, a tight, a tight integration. So we have the technological capability. So if a platform wants to embed us within their onboarding flow, that that's straightforward. It, it's bread and butter for us. You know, I, I don't think you know, necessarily all insurance companies have that capability. Well, they have the capability, but you know, we pride ourselves on being able to do that quickly. We've got a suite of APIs that people can hook into, and so I think having that technology to enable very close integration is uh, is is very important i think we've got you know we've got a very good brand you know our, our customer reviews are are really good i think uh, way above uh the, the norm for, for the industry so we have uh, a very strong focus on customer service and i think yeah, it, it's it's funny you say you know you don't want to talk to anyone we, we think it's sort of too it's like a seesaw 
when you're buying or renewing, we want to be invisible, seamless, frictionless. But as soon as you need us, um, when there's a claim, you know, we, we've got people on the phones, you know, we can get, get in contact with us quickly. So it, it it's that balance. And I was talking to a customer the other day, and uh, so the thing I like about you is I don't have to talk. You know, I can get, do my renewals, change my vehicle. I don't have to talk to anyone. But if I do ring up, the phone's answered straight away, and you know I can get get the help that I want. So I think there's that that balance, and, and possibly one of the uh, yeah the learnings we we've had over the years is I think we started off with this purest view of we want to be 100% digital. And, and everything's online. But the reality is that the people still want that reassurance that they can speak to a, an, an individual. And, he, and in a lot of cases, especially with uh, rideshare drivers, the insurance is uh, quite often the second biggest cost after the vehicle. You know, our average premium in New York is about $5,000. We were sort of amazed at the beginning that people were quite happy to put their credit card details in for a $5,000 policy without talking to anyone and, and quite a lot of people actually rang up just said i just want to check that the phone number works the real person there so we sort of changed our our, um, our philosophy a bit in that you know it's about technology when it when people want to move quickly and they want the convenience but make sure you couple that with uh, you know, a really strong personal touch as well yeah, I, I think that's uh, funnily enough. I and Joanne, who you mentioned earlier in one of the earlier episodes, I, I spoke to her about that, and, and actually, I'm a, I'm a bit of a, a kind of first direct kind of fan. I kind of and because they are exactly that, their, their their apps and their technology are are amazing. But as soon as you ring them, they answer the phone and they sort everything out really quickly. I don't really ever want to talk to them, but just on the odd occasion that I I, I do need to sort something out, they always answer the phone. And 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 you're exactly right. It's. Uh, it is very much a kind of all or nothing, isn't it? You, you, probably 75% of the time you don't want to talk to anyone, but the other, other rest of the time you do. Um, so so I, I guess what would be really interesting, I haven't really covered this with any of the other guests before because they're slightly they're working in, 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 in for traditional insurers, most of the people I've spoken to, but it would be really interesting to understand, um, obviously, that startup journey. What, what have been the real challenges? If, if there was anyone else kind of listening to this podcast that were thinking of, uh, that had similar background, thinking of they've spotted a, a market that, 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 that they think they can, they can do. What, what's the, what are the things that people need to look out for? What are the things that have been the real challenge? like what what of the, the the stumbling blocks you had to get over so i think a num- number one is um make sure you're solving a problem yeah uh, I, i've seen you know and I, i've done it myself in uh, in early in my career you know creating a startup and with some technology and thinking oh this is great but it's actually that there's not a problem that needs solving the problem that we needed to solve in the beginning was Uber drivers in New York had to wait two weeks before they could get a policy, and that meant that they couldn't earn money for two weeks. So there was a definite problem. So number one, yeah, if you make sure there's a problem to solve, it's going to be a lot easier rather than trying to sell somebody on something that they don't know they need. I think the second thing is you have to be resilient. You're going to get loads of knockbacks, and it's um, so when I was talking a few months ago to uh, Stephen Mendel from Bought by Many, you know, and they are the, uh, the poster boys for, for UK InsureTech. And he was telling us about, you know, his initial fundraising and how difficult, how many rejections they had. And he had to sort of keep going. And, uh, you know, I think 
we went through exactly the same when we went on, on the fundraising trail. It was, uh, you know, we thought we had a great proposition. We were writing good, good levels of business. We thought it'd be relatively easy. And it was, you know, rejection after, after rejection. So it's you, you've got to believe in yourself and, and you've got to keep going. So having having that resilience and, and understanding that everybody goes through that cycle of, of, of rejection, even the, you know, the, the, the poster, the poster boys of, of the industry. I think getting a good team around you uh, is important. You know, I, I would classify as a Dan, you know, I've, I've, uh, I haven't got any brothers. So he was like the brother I never had. So we're, you know, we, we enjoy each other's company. We work hard, you know, well together. So make sure you're working with people that, that, that you like and, you know, enjoy it. I think it's, you know, why, why do people start their own companies? Yeah, a lot of the time is they probably probably work in, in large corporates or places where they, they didn't enjoy as much. And, um, you know, it's great to be able to do your own thing, you know, creating your own culture. Uh, that that's yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity to build build a company that not not only does good things, it has a good product, but does things in a good way. Yeah, you know, with a, with a culture that that, that that people really enjoy. So yeah, I, I think the advice is, you know, m- make sure there's a problem there to be solved. Be resilient. You're going to get not not back. You know, don't assume it's everything's going to work at, on, on on the first first time. I think the other thing is focus on execution. Make make sure you get things done. You know, there's just lots of great ideas on the shelf, and people say, "Oh yeah, I, I thought of that." It, it's it's getting things done, and it doesn't have to be perfect. So I think the last one is fast is better than perfect. You know, it's the whole MVP approach. You know, get something out to market as quickly as you can, and road test that, uh, and then use that feedback to improve things. Yeah, and and so uh, I, I think it's really good advice. Like lot, lots of them, uh, 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 just make perfect sense, don't they? But the um, what what's the so so moving forward? Then obviously you've got this plan of expansion, new products, new countries. What 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 do you see as the as the kind of bigger biggest challenges for for you guys in in the future? Yeah, one of the challenges for any you know you said are we a startup or or, or a scale up? I think growing. Just adding new people, you know, we've gone from 20 people to, you know, close to 160 in, in two years, just over two years. So, yeah, that's not like um, someone going from 500 to 700. You know, we are, it's nearly 10 times the size and it's, uh, it's easy to underestimate the amount of effort that takes to A, hire great people and integrate them into your way of doing things and you know getting everybody working productively in the same direction so i think you know people getting great people and um, and making sure you're integrating them with a bit is, is, is a challenge i think for, for any start well any scale up <laughs> things like covid have presented challenges where you know i don't think anyone really knows uh, are we out of the woods yet uh, but but I think that that's been I think that's been positive probably for for lots of startups you know maybe not in certain industries like hospitality and travel but it's it's got people really to to focus in on their sort of agility and being able to pivot quickly and I, I think 
a lot of businesses now because of COVID are much more aware you can't have a very, very rigid five-year plan because something could come out of the woodwork. So I think hiring great people, maintaining agility and finding channel partners to work with, yeah, that, that's what we're all about at the moment. So getting out there, getting those relationships and um, you know, forging those uh, putting those long-term relationships with, with the partners is, is going to be you know, a big part of what we're doing over the next couple of years. Yeah. And then obviously there's regulatory, Brexit, uh, you know, how are things going to work? So just making sure we are uh, keeping our options open. Do, do you think that did the Brexit thing, did that, um, I know that, that it almost kind of was like a massive deal and then COVID happened, it seemed quite re- relatively insignificant in compared to, to, uh, to what everyone had to endure over the last 18 months. But did that have a big effect on the, on the business in regards to kind of going into Europe? Not, not really, because we, it just accelerated. So we, we were in discussion with Uber about launching in, in the Netherlands anyway. And, uh, then because of Brexit, it just made it a, a much easier decision to make because we could set up uh, an office over in the Netherlands. Uh, and then if we wanted to passport to the rest of Europe, we have that basis to do that. So uh, it, it, it hasn't had much of an impact to date. No, no, fair enough. And, and so I guess, I guess then just taking that into the wider insurance market, um, I, I'm always interested to kind of understand what people's... Um, kind of view on the challenges the sector having and actually most of the people I've spoken to like I mentioned earlier are people who are working probably working for traditional insurers senior tech leaders in, in those types of business so what, what what's your view on the biggest kind of challenges that the the insurance and and and, and I guess the insure tech space has has uh, at the moment as, as a whole I think it's hiring the best people I think that's that's the the challenge for, in, for insurance I know when yeah, I think you mentioned before, when I was at university, I, no one was saying, oh, I want to go and work for Aviva or, or, or AXA or Allianz. Now the people graduating, it's, they want to work for Facebook, I want to work for Google. And, and I think there's, the, the InsurTech space has, has done a, a really great job in you know, raising the profiles. So you look at Lemonade, uh, Next, you know, Hippo over in the States, you know, they're very public. And I think there is now more people who are seeing this sort of new new wave of insurance insurance companies, insurtechs, as as a place that that they would consider working for. So I think uh, that that's the biggest challenge. And and we need to make ourselves places. We need to create cultures that uh, that people want to work in. It's one thing hiring people but you know if if they don't like what they see when when they get there then uh you know they're, they're, they're not going to hang around so i think getting the best people is is definitely the, the challenge that the insurance industry faces yeah yeah i mean it's interesting you talk a bit about culture there because um obviously it's relatively new um that you you guys at the british insurance awards won um an award for diversity and inclusion which is obviously a great achievement especially given how how young the business is um 
uh, I was there and saw saw you get the rewards. That was uh, that was good to see. Um, but to, it, you mean that, that's quite. Uh, you mean obviously, look in my industry, it's massive, um, and and, um, and and certainly, for, I think for most insurance businesses, based on what you've actually just said, really is it is it's a, it's it's big on the agenda, especially more more females into the the space, especially in the tech tech world. So so can, can you talk to, like how did you win the award? I guess like what 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 have you guys um, done that have uh, that that have kind of fed into that? So, so I think first and foremost, it's about as I said, it's creating that culture that um, that gives everybody a voice and uh, that people want to be a part of. Uh, I think uh, I'm not saying the hiring is easy, but it the number one is creating that culture where, where voices are heard. So we've done a, a lot of work on that in terms of um, the hiring. You know, we go out to platform, we use you know, specific platforms to make sure we have diverse candidates on our shortlist. Uh, we s- spend a lot of time thinking about the hiring process and you know, how we do that and trying to remove any any biases in, in the hiring process that, that you know, are quite prevalent. And um, we sp- sponsor events and it's a lot of it is about awareness and you know i i guess i i didn't yeah i've learned a lot over the last couple of years uh about sort of diversity and, and inclusion and it's not enough just to be you know say these things you've got to understand sort of history so you know one of the books i've read recently was invisible women uh by uh catherine perez or caroline perez and um it was a re- yeah, I'd recommend it to anyone, but it's a real eye eye opener about how lots of things in the world have been designed around sort of males. So things like pianos, they're it's a, a male's handspan, so there's not many f- uh, female concert pianists because their hands usually aren't big enough. Even things like the iPhone and you know in you know, things like town how town planning was done in the past was all around sort of the the idea that a male went from a suburb into the city centre to work and took a direct route in and then came out. And um, sort of understanding about some of this stuff and some of the, uh, you know, the privileges that, that we have as sort of white, white straight males um, is help, helps you, helps you develop this culture more than just somebody telling, you know, saying, well, we need to do this. And I think, uh, I was listening, actually I was listening to your podcast with Joanne uh, this, this morning when I was walking the dog and, you know, heard her talking about, you know, it's not just about a tick box exercise. Someone said, oh, we need to get more diverse people into the company. It, it's creating that culture and understanding, you know, the privileges that, that other people have. So, yeah, we were, we were delighted to win the awards, you know, in terms of our, well, we started off, I think it was our sort of 15th employee was the first female but now we're up to forty-two uh, percent in the company as a whole, and in senior leadership positions, we're actually uh, we're fifty-fifty. So we're, we're we're very proud of that. And and you know the the reality is it it enables us to do better things, having that diversity of thought within the business. And yeah, it's a diversity of thought, but also the the platform where people feel they've got a voice it means there's a lot more challenge. You know, and it's the that we've always done it this way just doesn't wash it well how can we make that better have you thought about it from this angle um so it 
it makes for a very uh, you know, fertile working environment, which is which is great. Yeah, you know, I think even someone said to me the other day, actually, uh, that I was talking to about the, um, it was about a women in technology group that uh, that I'm looking at starting up. But it, it was, um, she, she said um, that the ironic thing is that 50% of the, the customers are, are, are female. So why would you not have 50% of people making products? And it's just like, it's, it's, I know that's a really simple kind of one liner, but it, but it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Like it's, uh, I know, I think probably, probably, um, 10 15 years ago it was probably mainly men that bought the insurance in the house but i, I know in my house now if uh if if my wife can take a bit of that off my off my uh off my table and she can do a, a, a bit some of that kind of stuff it is now fairly equal like um so so i think it's uh yeah look it's really outright you mean for, to have a 42 percent um female workforce in in a in a in a sector that is um in tech that is that's what that would be way above the, the the actual talent pool i would imagine of of of, of how many women there actually are doing those jobs that's a, that's an amazing ach- achievement um so um well look you mean and and, and i guess the, the 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 bit i always like to kind of finish the main set of questions really on is um is is uh is david away from work like what's uh obviously do- dog walking and listening to my podcast is uh is is on the recent agenda which is good to hear but um away away from that what what does uh what does david do when he's not uh changing the world of uh of kind of uber insurance well i think at the moment i spend most of the time running a not-for-profit taxi company for my kids taking <laughs> various parties and, and sporting events but I, I love uh, I love sport. I, you know, I, I, um, I grew up near Liverpool, so I'm a, a, a Liverpool fan. Uh, but I right. support Brighton, so I, I try to get down to the Amex as, as often as possible. I love uh, cooking, so I'm a bit of a part-time chef. So uh, I love making sushi. So sometimes Saturday, me and the kids will do uh, a sushi session, which I enjoy, uh, and, and music. I, I play the guitar pretty badly, but enjoy doing that. Uh, I don't think my neighbours like it too much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The reality is, Mark, you, you're working. If you work for a startup, it it becomes your life to to a large degree. And uh, yeah, it's when you sign up. Yeah, it's not something you can turn off. So, and it's great because I, I I love what I do. But a lot of the time, it's you're just always thinking about you know ideas or. Yeah, how can we solve that problem? How can we improve this? So uh, I have to say, I could be quite bored and I'm spending time you know, speaking to Dan at the weekends about things we could be doing. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it must have been relatively stressful being a, a Brighton fan up until recently, but it's uh, good times at the moment, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, go, it's going all right this year. So um, I've got a couple of... I went to university in Portsmouth, so a couple of my... Um, Really good mates were a, a, a big Brighton fans, and uh, living in Swindon, um, you you guys beat us about fifteen twenty years ago in the playoffs, and uh, I, I don't think I ever heard the end of it, and and it's only gone from strength to strength for Brighton <laughs> since then. So, so look, I, I like to end, like the end of the podcast. I always finish with three three kind of uh, um, questions, and then a, a quick kind of uh, quick fire round, as you've probably heard already. Um, so, first question would be, what what do you love about the insure tech and insurance space? I think it's, it's a never a dull moment, so there's always there's always something happening, and, and th- it's it's a it's got massive potential, and we've only just t- t- scraped the surface of it at the moment. And if you look at you know, where banking was maybe ten years ago, and now you've got sort of Monzo, Starling, Revolut coming through, and it, it's been revolutionised. 
the fact that we're on the cusp of a big revolution, it started, but we're, we're not there yet. I think that's exciting. And being part of that is, um, you know, it, it's really exciting. Do you, do you think that's going to, because um, I, I know exactly, I think it, that InsureTech thing kind of started and then stagnated a bit. And now it seems to, uh, in the in the last couple of years, seems to have really kind of started to gather some momentum. Do, do you think that's that it's kind of the platforms there now for it to, to happen over the next kind of four or five years or so? It might take longer than that, but I, I would say in yeah in in twenty twenty years time, some of the biggest names in insurance will be companies that were formed in the, in the last ten years. Yeah, I think we've learned a lot. Yeah, I, I think there was a, an initial gold rush, which is over now, where you know there was new startups every week, and you, you look at a few of them and think, well, I'm 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 not quite sure where. Yeah, as I said before, what the business problem is there. But I think that's there's been some consolidation, and you've got some you know, great companies sort of le- leading the way and doing some great things. So uh, I think a lot of the early lessons have been learnt about you know it's not just about being able to sell something with you know, a fancy website. It's about understanding the insurance process and making sure your pricing is is, is adequate, and and understanding that that whole insurance lifecycle is, is really important. So I think. You know, there's some really great companies there that are going to sort of pave the way for 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 more insure techs coming to the market. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, um, so the second question is, um, what what is the best thing about being behind your desk right now? Apart from doing this podcast with you, Mark. Uh, yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. Well, you can say that if you want, but there's probably better things, I would imagine. Knowing that I'm working with people, great people, and uh yeah mates i love going into work because i'm around people that whose company i enjoy and that's when you yeah i think it's been said a hundred times if if you can you know if you can get paid for doing something that you love doing then it's not really work and i i love the fact i've got my dog sleeping under my desk so having uh having pets around is uh help helps keep people uh de-stressed yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't think in the in the city that's they've quite reached those uh, those levels yet of having the dog in the in the office. But um, and then the last one before we go into the the kind of quick fire round, and, and look, I, I won't ask you this. So it could be could be anything. And if you've listened to some of the podcasts, I've had some uh, some weird weird responses to this already. But what's the one question I should have asked you but didn't? Yeah, I thought about this. I think I'd be asking if I had my time insure again, would I do anything differently? Yeah, good one. I'm happy go to on, answer. Go on, answer it, because I think people... I, I, go for it, because I think, so, I, I think, I think uh, it, although I didn't ask it, people will be interested to hear. So I would spend more time reflecting on what we've done rather than always looking right. forward and looking at what what we still need to do. But, yeah, as I said, it's it's like getting on a, a racehorse without a saddle. And uh, you, you just don't... You never take the time to think, actually, you know, this has been okay. We're, we, yeah, we've done we've done well here it's all about oh we need to do this next month or this in the next six months so you know, spend some time to stop smell the roses yeah I think I, I think that you I mean it's funny you say that actually I, I you mean I'm, I'm big into football as well um I, I listen to a lot of documentaries with footballers and stuff like that and, and it's pretty much the common theme with every footballer that's achieved a lot is like I'm I'm a, I'm a United fan apologies um but all the United players under Alex Ferguson they always say like 
we never had, we never had like two minutes to just celebrate celebrate even winning the league. It was just like go on holiday and go again, and and that is probably what created the, that that winning mentality. But at the same time, you do think it's a bit of a shame, like you achieved so much, and and maybe maybe you've got to take a bit of time to to uh, do it. So I think that's. Uh, it's a good answer to a question I didn't uh, that you uh, that you asked yourself. That's uh, <laughs> so. Then the, fi- the final bit, the final bit of the um, of the podcast is just a quick fire round. So uh, I've got six questions, quick quick fire answers. So, what's the one piece of technology you couldn't live without? It's a bit of a cliche, but I'm gonna have to go with mobile phone. It just helps. I love it because it helps me multitask. So in the morning, I'll walk the dog, I'll listen to a podcast, I'm making voice notes, set myself up for the day. It's just and. It's just a great tool. That's interesting. So, so do you use voice notes quite a lot to just when you get ideas? Because I, I don't know if you're, if you're anything like me, you come up with an idea when you're listening, especially listening to podcasts, quite good for that kind of stuff. And um, and then if you don't write it down, then then it, 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 a half hour later you've forgotten it. Yeah, the, do you know what? The voice recognition, te- you know, the out-of-the-box stuff, it's so good. And that's someone, someone showed me how to do it a few years ago and it's so easy and you say to just walk that's where I get my ideas walking around or even at home I'm not going to say the word because it'll wake up but the Amazon uh, yeah, yeah smart speaker I'll just tell that to uh, take a note and voice recognition is the uh, is the future so which uh, second one is which company or brand do you really admire I went on holiday uh, with the family to California probably five or six years ago and the thing that revolutionized that holiday was uber being able to get places quickly, easily, and cheaply, and not worry about how do I get these young kids home? I'll be out in the middle of nowhere. Will they be able to get a taxi? It's such a simple idea that benefits the drivers and the passengers. So I would, I would definitely go with Uber. Yeah, yeah, I think they're up there for a lot of people. They've revolutioned, completely revolutionised that space, haven't they? Um, Favorite business-related book? I know you say that uh, you said you mentioned that one uh, uh, earlier, the Invisible Women one. But uh, give us another one. So I'm going to go for Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Uh, okay. And the reason, I, to me, sleep is a superpower, and uh, there's so many benefits of, of getting good sleep. And I think without, yeah, you know, that's really that really helps you if you need to be efficient in business. If you've got a you know, a demanding job, which a startup is, making sure you get a good night's sleep and all the benefits that that brings to me is, uh, you know, it's one of my number one things. Yeah, yeah, I can resonate. I've had, with an 18-month-old baby, I can, uh, that's become even more prevalent in, uh, in, in my world over the last uh, year and a half. The, uh, so next one, the first thing you would buy if you, uh, if you won the lottery? It would probably be time because uh, at really? the moment having time to do things so uh, I, I'd spend time buy some time to spend with my kids going and watching some sport or sort of some music stuff and then closely followed by I'd, I'd buy a wolf range cooker I don't know if you're into cooking but they are the, the Rolls Royce of uh, of cookers right well yeah that's uh, that's definitely a, no I've not heard them but I'm going to have a look as soon as we finish this I'll have a little look so the, the, uh, same as the Rolls Royce as well <laughs> um, do they guarantee that you do good cooking though that's the that's problem uh, I don't think they do that <laughs> so the, 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 the second from last one um, favourite film or TV series you can have one of each if you, if, if, if you want if, you, if it's too hard to choose 
I, I love White House and Mortimer gone fishing. I don't know if you ever watch it, but it is for me. It's thirty minutes of tranquility every week. It just makes me totally relaxed. So I, I, I love it, and the, the chemistry between the two of them is brilliant. Good one. Um, and then fi- finally, um, normally uh, it's kind of if if you weren't a, a COO or a founder of an insure tech business, what what would you be? I like to think I'd, I'd have a little deli or a little cafe somewhere, just a little quiet place yeah. in the corner. And um, yeah, I, I think that's what I'd be doing. Well, to be fair, you mean once the um, once the insure tech journey finished with all that, Brighton's quite a good place for that kind of thing. That, that's uh, still still uh, quite a good, could be, could be a dream that could uh, could happen further down the line. There's a little place on the, a little hut on the beach that I've got my eye on. So uh, in a few years' time, maybe you'll see me there. Making nice. a cappuccino and a, and a panini. <laughs> Lovely. Well, look, you mean, David, first of all, thank you so much. I know you're really busy uh, and, and you've, uh, you've got, you guys have got a lot on. Um, it, it's been genuinely um, really uh, interesting hearing the, hearing the, the story and the journey. Um, I, I think people really uh, resonate with it. Um, you mean, so, so off the back of this, um, sometimes people like to get in touch. Um, you mean, it, it, if, they're, if they do or there's someone in Brighton that thinks that ensures the kind of company they'd like to work for or something like that i mean how's the best way to get in touch with you is it through linkedin or what's the best way for them to reach out yeah linkedin's good you're either direct to me or if you go into a company page so all our uh, all our vacancies are, are on linkedin uh, but yeah happy to uh, if um, somebody connects with linkedin that that'd be great Brilliant. Cool. Well, look, that, that brings us to the end. So, as I say, th- thank you once again for, for taking some time out. Um, as David said, if, if you want to get in touch with him, reach out. Same, same for me. And uh, I'll look forward to, to catching up with you you guys next time. We've got plenty more guests coming up over the next few weeks. So look forward to, to catching up with you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. If you like the episode, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, like and a comment and even better please share with your friends and colleagues if you'd like to connect with me you can do so at linkedin.com forward slash mark thomas and the number zero it would be great to hear from you equally if you have any suggestions for future guests or other areas you'd like me to explore it would be great to hear them too behind the desk is powered by eames consulting part of the eames group you can find out more about us at eamesconsulting.com Thanks again for listening and I look forward to catching up with you again next time.